0: that last song and just kind of continuing to sing that portion hallelujah our god reigns i'm just kind of as i'm singing that and just repeating it and repeating it again hallelujah praise the lord our god reigns and 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 again i love you know how thomas just prayed for us right now that he would reign in our hearts and in this place and all this place but if we truly believe that that he reigns then nothing moves us <laughs> if He reigns. Praise the Lord that He reigns. And He reigns not only in our hearts, but He reigns all around the world at the same time. I don't know how He does that. But beyond that, He reigns in all the universe. And and so when we think of that portion, it's like, you know, we think of what we're kind of going through in this day and age, and it's like, man, that's we can't get away from talking about it and, and discussing it and, and all these things, and it just permeates our heart. And I know that, again, we, we battle. It's like, okay, put it back on Jesus. Put it back on Jesus. You know, and, but, but it goes back to talking about what's going on in this world. And yet, He reigns. And this is nothing compared to who He is. And if He reigns, then again, we have nothing to worry about. Oh, everything will burn down. Everything will fall apart. People will die. Even people that we know, people will die, and yet He still reigns. He sits on the throne, guys. And let's just remember that because if He reigns in our hearts, it's only because He reigns in the universe first and foremost. And so we have to remind ourselves of those kinds of things. Amen? So last week, we started the book of Hosea. So if you will, make your way over to Hosea chapter 2. Um, This evening. Um, As I shared with you guys last week, and just as a reminder, the prophet Hosea ministered from about 755 BC to 715 BC. So that means that his ministry spanned about four decades, about 40 years, this guy was in ministry. And so he he just kind of oversaw a lot throughout his life, he saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's interesting because, I, I, as I shared with you, um, um, he he kind of even though we 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 didn't see, or he didn't see the 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 southern kingdom of Judea of Judah get taken captive by the Babylonians, he did get to see the northern kingdom of Israel get taken captive about 721 B.C. It's interesting because, again, can you imagine his nation being taken away? We, 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 again, look at what goes on in our lives and we're going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. His nation, the northern part, the kingdom, gets taken captive. They all get taken out of their places. Again, devastating he got to see that and experience that. And so Hosea mentions four kings of Judah, which was a southern kingdom, in his introduction. But he only mentions one of the northern kingdom of the kingdom of Israel. Um, even though there would be six after Jeroboam II, he doesn't mention them for whatever reason. Even though he did most of his ministry, if not all of his ministry, in the Northern Kingdom, this guy because because some of you guys were here for Daniel. This guy was about two hundred years before Daniel, so we're going back to the king's time uh, before they were any taken captive. And then he sees all of this happening, and so this prophecy that this guy has is a warning to the northern kingdom of the judgment that was going to come against them. And at this point in history that that Hosea is living, he is telling them that they need to turn from their sin because judgment was coming. And and because this portion of Scripture and where we're at and, and what he was covering, because they never turned from their sin, then, then judgment was inescapable, inevitable. It was certain. And, and you kind of wonder, because I think in our lives, God deals with us in so many different ways when we begin to go astray. And we, we're going to see a lot of this during the book of Hosea. That it's almost like he allows us a certain amount of rope <laughs> And he always warns us, hey, turn back, turn back, turn back. And it is in those times that we turn back. It doesn't matter what we've done, what we've gone through. There might be some residual for what we've done, but it doesn't matter. When we turn, he meets us right where we're at. He, he, he draws us right back in. And he's always done that with the nation of Israel, as we will see again tonight. But that's how good our God is. But there often comes a time that he lets us go and lets us go and he keeps on wooing us back, talking to us, bringing us back. And when we don't, (laughs) it's almost like the judgment, the discipline is inescapable, inevitable, certain. And it's stuff that we just have to deal with and go through. But God is so gracious to us. He truly is that he gives us chance after chance after chance. So Hosea chapter 2. We'll read the first 13 verses and then later on in the study we'll read the rest of the chapter. It says, uh, verse 1. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sister, mercy is shown. Verse 2. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries, From her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her, as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She she who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up Your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. She will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them out but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it will be better for me than now. For she did not know. That I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which she prepared for Baal. Therefore I will return and take her away, my grain in its time, and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linen, given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cease all her mirth to cease. I will cause all her mirth to cease. Her her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbath, all her appointed feasts and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees of which was of which she has said, these are the, my wages that my lover has given me. So I will make them a forest, and the breast of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which, her burning, to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry, And went after her lovers, but me, she forgot," says the Lord. Man, what an interesting portion of scripture! But the whole book is kind of like this. It's it's a different type of book because we almost see just this personal thing that is going on between Hosea and his wife. Now, verse one of chapter two. For all intents and purposes, belongs to chapter one. Basically, we, we we finished with verse one last week, but it starts off here because again the fin- the, the the sentence f- finishes off with with the first for, with the last part of chapter two, and so for our text this evening we're actually starting in verse two here, and it begins by saying. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. The word charges sounds like a very harsh word. And it is. It's a a harsh word. Although in some translations, it uses the word plead. Plead with her. Which sort, sort of kind of almost softens the blow of what we just read. But it is intended, this word, this phrase, what is being used here, to be hard and harsh. The Hebrew word for charges or even plead means properly to toss, i.e. grapple. Most figuratively to wrangle, i.e. hold a controversy by implication to defend, chide, complain, contend, debate, plead, rebuke, strive. That's from the, the Strong's Concordance. So you could see that that word can be interchangeable when you're using the word plead and when you're using the word charge. The Vines Expository Dictionary puts it this way, to plead, strive, conduct a legal case, make a charge. In other words, it is quite an indictment here, an accusation, a charge meant to bring about a condemnation, a denunciation, and a blame to the mother here. Pretty harsh. (laughs) Bring charges against your mother, bring charges. Now, we covered last week... That, that this whole thing that we're reading about has to do with, with, with the nation of Israel and how God, the Lord God, was the husband to the nation of Israel. And yet, he kind of makes it personal for, for, I, for Hosea here that says, hey, I'm going to show you something and you're going to be the example I'm going to show the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, what is going on between me and them. But I'm going to have to use you as an example. And so he tells Hosea, and I'm sure he's going, Okay, Lord, here I am, Lord. Use me. Speak to me, Lord. Tell me what you want. I will do it. <laughs> okay, Hosea, I need you to go and marry a prostitute. Come again? <laughs> I don't know if I heard you right, Lord, but did you just say that you want me to go marry a prostitute? Yes, absolutely. This is why I need you to marry a prostitute, because it will be a picture of my relationship with the nation of Israel. God being the husband, the nation of Israel being the wife, that is, the adulterous wife, the prostitute wife. The wife of harlotry. Can it get any worse than that? Hortum is another word. It's like, geez, do you want me to do what? Yes, this is what I need you to do. And so now, as we start off here in our text, it says, bring charges against your mother, bring charges. So when it says to bring charges against your mother, it is speaking against Or about the nation of Israel. But in reality. (laughs) It is being played out in real time. In the life of the prophet Hosea. And his wife Gomer. His adulterous wife. His prostitute wife. His wife of harlotry. That, that That is how it's playing out in real time. And so, again, you and I can't even, almost, we can't even comprehend that kind of living like that. Maybe you can, I don't know, but, but I, I doubt that. But he's having to play this out in real time, that, that what's going to be happening is happening to him personally. And yet, God is saying, but this is a picture of what is going on with my nation, especially the northern kingdom, throughout all their kings, every one of their their kings. I think they had like 19 different kings. And every one of their kings, it was said of them, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. In in the southern kingdom, they had a little bit more kings, and and there's at least five of them out of the 20-some, that it was said of them, and they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The northern kingdom never had that. And so you could imagine for like 200 and some years that the king, the monarchy, was, was, was in, in place. They, not, they didn't have not one king that did not do evil in the sight of the Lord. And so you could almost see the mercy of God in, in that he didn't destroy them after the first, second king. That he continued to let it go. And then some people would go, well, why would he let it go for so long? Well, because that is the mercy of God. God shows his mercy time and time again. And, and it, it, to us in the New Testament, we sometimes look at, at, at the Old Testament and go, man, why would God allow that? And yet we have to go back into our lives and say, well, why would a God allow us to continue in our sin? Why didn't he just snuff us out a long time and go, hey, well, come on, pastor, now you're getting a little personal here. <laughs> Because again, oftentimes we're going, man, why would he allow that? Because God is long-suffering. God shows his mercy even to a nation that is being disobedient to him. God continues to reach out to them to to call them back because he sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. They had a school of prophets. They They were pumping out prophets and yet they continued to be disobedient. And yet, he gets to this point where he says, bring charges against your mother. Yes, bring charges. Again, bring charges against the nation of Israel because they've been playing this prostitute. And then he says, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. So so the reason for the accusation was because the relationship between the covenant partners, God and the nation of Israel, when he married them, basically, when he became close to them in Mount Sinai, and he made this covenant with them, that that partnership has been disrupted. Others have come into that relationship. The Lord, speaking as a husband, who has been severely wronged, He declares, she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, because she was acting as if she had no husband. Now, some have interpreted this portion of Scripture to say the statement that God is making a formal declaration of divorce, divorcing his wife which is unlikely in this context because he never said i am divorcing her he just said she is she is not my wife i am not her husband again because she is acting as if she has no husband you see what is happening here again it looks very harsh it looks very like pointed that he is just like coming after her, but what is actually happening here is that the Lord's ultimate purpose is to heal the relationship, not to terminate it. Even though, by all rights, it looks like the relationship is over. Because for the next hundred years or so, less than hundred years, they will continue to play the harlot. They will continue, after all these years, from Jeroboam on, six more kings, they will continue to go after other gods. They will have prosperous times, they will be going through all these amazing times, but spiritually speaking, they will continue to commit uh, spiritual immorality. And then, because of that, they are going to be taken captive, so you're thinking, well, they're done. They're all done, even though that they would be gone for a long, long time. And so you would think that the relationship is over. Her, her unfaithfulness to the Lord, by all practical purpose, had severed the relationship with her husband. But rather than exercising his legal prerogative if you will of having her this this adulterous wife executed because that's what Deuteronomy or Leviticus 20 uh, verse 10 and Deuteronomy twenty two twenty two said that if your wife committed adultery you had every right to have her executed for her going on her wayward way And instead of letting that happen, the Lord issues a call for repentance for her, as we will continue to read, urging the nation of Israel to abandon what is out there. Because the nation of Israel had this tendency of wandering. They always had this tendency like, They always looked at the other nations and said, well, I want to be like that other nation. And yet God never called them to be like the other nations. They were separate. They were different. God called them to be his own special people. They had him as their God, as their king, as their everything. And yet they're going, yeah, but look at the way they're doing it. And they almost always wanted to see if the grass was greener on the other side. Never realizing you still got to mow it. There's still there's still work that you got to do over there, and that master is nothing like this master. It says in, in, at, at the end here of verse two, "Let her put away her harlotries from her sight." But let me let me read it in the Amplified, or no, not in the Amplified, in the New Living Translation. Verse. 2b and verse 3 it says tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts otherwise i will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born and i will leave her to die of thirst as in a dry and barren wilderness man that is pretty harsh for him to be saying, hey, either turn or I'm going to let you go. If you don't turn, if you don't change your appearance, if you don't change your attitude, what you continue to do, then I will strip you. I, I will even take away what you have. And you will be as naked as the day that you were born. And I will put you out there and, and, and the elements will take care of you. I will take away my blessing, basically, is what he's saying. You will will die of thirst, and and it will be as dry and barren as a wilderness. In other words, and you're not going to be able to conceive either. In, In one sense, it is as if God was going to strengthen the nation of Israel's position. If you don't change your ways, then I will take it to a new level. And I think oftentimes God does that in people's lives and he will do it in your, your life and my life. If we, if we don't want to change, he will strengthen our position. And it's almost like when, when the nation of Israel, when they were coming to Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh, they're telling him, you got to let my people go. And, and, and he was, it, it said, and he wouldn't let them go or he would not let them go. And then he said they, he could not let them go. And it's almost like God strengthened Pharaoh's position in his hardness. And you don't want to get to that point where God strengthens your position. Where all of a sudden he says, is that what you want to do? Then I will help you get there. That's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> Part of him allowing us to get there quicker is when he pulls his hand back a little bit. And he allows us to go our way. And that's what he is telling them Here. if the warnings are not heeded then i will let the consequences take effect i don't know about you man but i i like to learn from your mistakes (laughs) (laughs) i want to learn from other people's mistakes because again it's like i hate consequences i like good consequences but i don't like bad consequences and I've seen way too much in people's lives and in mine, but not, nothing, nothing very severe that I've lost my wife and my kids over. But I've seen that happen time and time again that, that again, if you don't heed the warnings, then God will say, well, let me pull back a little bit and let you go on with your bad self and do what you want to go do. Because if you go on with your bad self and do what you want to go do, then you're going to hit a brick wall and it's going to hurt and in verse 4 he says I will not have mercy on her children for they are children of harlotry for their mother has played the harlot she who conceived them has behaved shamefully shamefully I will not have mercy on her children. goes back to the name of, of I think, the daughter, Lorahama, Lorahama, no mercy. I will have no mercy. Again, if Israel as a whole is represented in and as the unfaithful wife, then her children must represent the individual people of Israel. And if they don't turn back to the Lord as a whole, they will personally experience the judgment. And this is when we see how God deals with nations. Because when he calls for a nation to turn, if they don't, or when they don't, it is the people who end up bearing the brunt of the judgment. And, and, and we've seen this throughout history, that God will call a nation to turn, and because of their stubbornness, the people, the innocent people, and I, I don't know how innocent they are, but for the most part, the innocent people suffer as well. And again, when, when God would call the nation of Israel to turn, Again, he was telling the nation as a whole to turn. But who, who, who was causing the nation to sin? Most of the time, it would be the leaders. It would be the religious leaders. And when they didn't turn, then it, all these judgments would trickle down. So when it was time for the northern kingdom to be taken away by the Assyrians, it wasn't just the leaders that were taken. It wasn't just the priests that were taken. It was every man, woman, and child. So they had to suffer for the sins of the leaders. And so when we pray for our nations, when we pray for our world and the people that we know, and, and we pray, God, change our nation, heal our nation. The people on top, man, they do whatever they want to do. And we often think, man, they never pay the price. And it always kind of trickles down to the people. And it's the people who are hurting. And yet this is the way God deals With nations, he goes after the the leaders and says, as a whole, you need to turn back. And when they don't, everybody gets hurt. And it's interesting because he says, I will not have mercy on the children, for they are the children of harlotry, for their mother has played the harlot. This is the portion and I alluded to it last week somewhat about the third child that was born. But this is the portion that alludes to the fact that, that quite possibly Hosea's children may not have been his children. Or that he didn't know for sure if they were. Maybe perhaps a third child where, where they named, her, uh, named him little Ami, not my people, going, dude, you don't even look like me. I don't think you're mine. So this is where they're saying it's quite possible that he married this prostitute, but she continued to go cheat on him. And when, they, when she conceived, he didn't know if they were his or not. But that might not be all true altogether. It could simply be that that he says it like this, that they are children of harlotry for their mother has played the harlot. It could be simply that the children had to be covered by the, or or were covered by the shame of their mother. Being born to Hosea and Gomer, and yet Gomer would always go out and these poor children have have to live with that shame. My mom is a tramp. She goes out and and, and messes around all the time. So these children are called children of harlotry because their mother is a harlot. And so you can understand that the, the shame that they could probably and have lived with because their mother associated herself with the harlotry. And they would live with the consequences of always being pointed at. Pointed at. Because again, every time they called lo Ami, it's like, not my people. Every time they called lo Rahama, is like, there's no mercy on you guys. And whenever they called Jezreel, it's like, you guys are all scattered around. So, so again, those names meant something. And so they had to live with the consequences. Now, that's not to say that the people themselves were not always totally innocent. But it says, and I will go after, in verse 5, mid-5, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. Israel as a nation justified her harlotry because she received from her lovers. In other words, she looked at all the good that seemed to come out of and from her sin. It must not be that bad because I go out and sin and I'm still being provided for. I'm still taken care of. In other words, I give myself over to sin and nothing really happens to me because I continue to have everything that I need. Nothing really comes against me. I have my bread, I have my water, I have my wool, I have my linen, my oil, and my drink. In other words... These the, the the passing pleasures of sin hadn't hadn't turned bad, and I think oftentimes again, and, and I always try to relate it to to how does that look like here today in our lives? Because oftentimes the world is calling us, is luring us to go in other places, and when we do, and there's no kickback or there's no heavy cons- consequence, we go. Well, it must not be that bad. Because God didn't pull the rug from under my, my feet right away. And we think it's okay to go and do certain things. And Israel, again, for all these years, nothing really happened. They had good kings, they had, or, or they had bad kings, but, but they had good economies, bad economies. They had ple- uh, plenty, they had little. It, you know, it just kind of ebbed and flowed for them. And yet in verse 6, he says, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. I I love the fact that even though the Lord gives them up to their pleasures, they were not going to be completely out of His sight. The phrase hedge up means to entwine, i.e. shut in, for formation, protection, or restraint. Fence about, hedge up. So, so even though they're going out, or, or, or she was going out, I, I'm still going to put a hedge around her. Albeit, it would be with thorns. <laughs> In other words, the road that they wanted to take and that she wanted to take in the literal sense would hurt. And it would not be pleasant or as lovely as they thought, as she thought. You see, the nation of Israel and even Gomer would, would always come up to a dead end. No matter how good things were for her, thinking that she's, she's taken care of, she would always end up in a dead end. And she would always be, get hurt because he was going to hedge her in or hedge her up, but there would be thorns, and every time she went one way or the other, she got hurt along the way. And yet he kind of walled her in to where he only allowed her to go so far. coming up empty. And I think those who have tasted of the Lord and then decide to go back are probably the most miserable people. If they've truly tasted how good the Lord is. And then decide, well let me go see what the world has to offer again. Let's see if it's changed. I think those people have enough of Jesus to be miserable but not enough of Jesus to be joyful. They, they can't even sin good anymore. <laughs> they they want to sin good. And, and as I've talked to so many who have been in that place, it's like, man, Jesus is just a downer when you're trying to get high like that. He just doesn't give you the, the freedom to truly just go for it anymore. Because even in their midst of their high or their drunk or whatever, their pleasure, they can't get Jesus off their mind. And so many people end up being in that place. So those who have tasted that the Lord is good and seek out their own pleasures always always, I mean always, come up empty until they come back to the Lord. It says, for she did not know in verse verse 8, for she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which she prepared for Baal, or for the foreign gods, for the other gods. Even when God, even when, when Israel went after other gods, God, most often than not, still provided for her. This shows his great unselfish love for Israel. Even though Israel took what God provided for her, and in this case, Gomer, they prepared it for another God. Instead of giving him all the glory, all the praise, all the thanks, they just sacrificed it and gave it to another God. And yet, God still loved her. You see, even though she was acting as if she had no husband, the husband still oversaw and took care of her. Can you imagine a scenario like this for Hosea? That here his wife leaves him and is playing the harlot, going and doing what she wants, living with whoever she wants to live with, and yet Hosea knowing where about she's at and then showing up to the guy's house and knocking and saying, here, I got some stuff for Gomer. You're the guy that's living with Gomer. Yeah. I'm, who are you? I'm her husband. Here. Here's her grain. Here, here's everything that she might need. Here's the new wine. Here's the oil. Everything that she needs is right here. Can you imagine this guy <laughs> maybe taking this going, Are you kidding me? But that's, that's what Gomer would have to have done if he is still providing for her like God was providing for, for Israel. That even though they're out whoring around, God is still going to them And saying, here you go. This is what you need for today. And I will be back tomorrow and give you what you need. Sounds pretty wild. (laughs) Sounds pretty amazing that God would go that extra mile. But that's how much he loves the nation of Israel. And that's how much he loves you and I as Christians. And again, we, we presume on God's grace, and we go and, and we sin, and we do these things, and yet, when we're done sinning, He pours His grace on us again, and His mercies are brand new the next morning, and, and He continues to say, but I love you so much. It's like, but I just, it's like, yeah, I love you, man. I love you. I died for that. Then he gets to verse 9 and he says, Therefore, I will return and take it, take away my grain in its time. It's new wine and all of these things. And so he says, I will, I will pour out, pour out, but there will come a time where, where judgment now comes in. And even in this moment when he's telling us, I will go and take all that away, she still does not stop being her, his wife. Understand that. He's not divorcing her. Even though he takes everything away from her and exposes her nakedness, gives her into her nakedness and her lewdness to in the sight of her lovers, it says in verse 10 all of these things, even though I don't allow her anymore or she can't truly you know have her her feast days, her weekly feast days on the Sabbath, her monthly feast days of the new moon her her, 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 all these things, even though I take all these things away, again, she is still my wife, but I'm allowing or I'm taking away the blessings of providing for her at this moment. God in, had every right to abandon his people just like Gomer had every right to abandon his wife and divorce her or have her executed. But instead, God chose to discipline them. He didn't pour out his wrath upon them. He disciplined them. And that's two different things. God's wrath you don't want to be a part of. God's discipline, he chastens those whom he loves. And he disciplines them. He will allow his people time and opportunity to turn. And when they don't, he will take action. And God is not afraid to take action. But it's amazing and remarkable to see just how many times God's people go after other gods and other things time and time, ab- time and time again. And we might think, you know, sit back and think, man, I can't believe these guys. How many times they do that, and yet we often do the same thing. And, and we experience God's mercy not because we're good, it's because we, we're guilty, as I shared last week. His mercy is only shared on the guilty. Understand that. <laughs> we deserve everything we get. And yet when he shows his mercy is because you were guilty and he didn't give you what you deserved. <laughs> because that's who he is. In response to Israel's unfaithfulness the Lord said that he would deprive the nation of its agricultural produce the grain, the new wines, and he would leave them destitute. But you see, this whole thing goes back to the Mosaic law. In 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 even the agricultural prosperity. It, it often depended on the loyalty of the people towards God. In obedience, the covenant in ter- the, the 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 terms and conditions for the covenant that if you obeyed, the Lord would bless you in all the forms of, of plentiful harvest, numerous offspring, security, according to Deuteronomy 28. But if you keep on reading in Deuteronomy 28, it gets to a point in about verse 14 that says, but if you are disobedient, here's all the, 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 the curses that will come, drought, pestilence, war, death, and even exile. And so the announcement that that we have here in this portion of Scripture from verse 9 here on reveals that the Lord intended to implement the covenant curses that He had against Israel because of their disobedience according to Deuteronomy 28. The drought, the blight, the insect swarms, and, and the invading armies would destroy the land's produce. And in verse uh, 13, it says, I will punish her for the days of the bales in which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. But me, she forgot. In, in this final statement of this section that we've covered so far, it, it summarizes Israel's sin and, and all that they were doing and the reason for the coming judgment. But me, she, it says, she forgot. She had forgotten the Lord through all of this. Now, it doesn't mean that Israel had this mental lapse, had this amnesia that hit them. It's like they didn't know who God was anymore. It wasn't that, not at all. It's not like they lost knowledge of, of, of who the Lord was. It describes a refusal to acknowledge the Lord's goodness and authority over her over their life. It's interesting because Moses had repeatedly argued or urged, not argued, but urged the nation not to forget the Lord's gracious deeds upon them and his demands for exclusive worship. Worship me with all you've got. Don't go out there. I'm going to give you some, some scriptures from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. It says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Deuteronomy eight eleven. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today. Also Deuteronomy four twenty-three and twenty-four says, Take heed to yourself or to yourselves, lest you forget the commandment of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourself a carven image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Verse 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He was her husband. Why why wouldn't he be jealous for his bride, for his wife? And, and, And continuing to say, don't forget the things that I've done for you. And so Moses continued to do that and yet towards the end of his life as he's finishing up his life <laughs> in fulfillment of Moses' prediction Israel throughout her history forgot the Lord and worshipped other gods. And this is what he says at the end of Deuteronomy before he, he leaves. Deuteronomy 31 verses 27 and, and, uh, to 29. 27 to 29. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, have been, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes, and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt, and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger through your works of your hands. And if I'm not mistaken, it was in that portion, it was like, oh no, we would never do that. <laughs> not on your life, Mosey. We would never go against God. In verse 18 of 32, it says, of the rock who begot you, you are un." un- unmindful, and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And and, and here Hosea, as he's talking about the nation of Israel, but he's seeing his wife do all these things. He says, I will punish her, but she has forgotten me. She has forgotten the Lord. Now, let's read from verse 14 to the end of this chapter here. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her a vineyard from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will be called, or that she, or that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them. With the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter to the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and judgment, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself on the earth and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. God, the Lord, having brought Israel to the place of desperation, and, and isn't that where most people find themselves when they end up coming back? He, he, he lets them go to a place of desperation. And at that time, she will look to him. But they have to get to that place first <laughs> before they will turn. It, it, it's almost like the prodigal son who wanted to go live his life. And it wasn't until he came to his senses, to, when he came to his right mind, that he says, man, my father's servants live way better than what I'm living right now. But they have to get to that point. And I think oftentimes we have to let them go and God will let you go and He will allow all that to happen so that you get to a point of desperation. And I think oftentimes we don't want people to get there, but that is the best place they can possibly be because that is when they turn back. That is when they look up. That is when they come to their right mind. And this is where he allowed the nation of Israel to go. And this is where, where, what you call it, uh, uh, Hosea allows his wife to get to as well. And he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will woo her back. I'm not going to force her back. I'm not going to tempt her back. I'm not going to pay her to come back. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm just going to woo her back. And I think that's where we we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the best wooer out there. (laughs) You cannot woo, woo them, allure them with, well, we'll do this, we'll do that. It's like, let the Holy Spirit take care of that. Let the Holy Spirit, let them get to the the, the most furthest place that they become so desperate that now he begins to woo them back. You see, all of this, he's restoring the relationship. When he says, I will give her vineyards from there. And the valley of Acor." as a door of hope. The word Acor or 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 in literal terms, the valley of trouble, I will turn into a door of hope. It, it was in that valley of Acor where, where Achan sinned against the Lord in Judges or in uh, Joshua. That 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 he would turn that place around, that this place of trouble would now be a place of hope. And he, he would bring them in. And look at how many times we see the, the, the phrase, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he alludes to, the, to that many other times. And so because of that, there is a positive response from Israel to be led back to this covenant, to, to be renewed and, and, and have this renewal, kind of being remarried once again, coming back and being blessed. Again, the Lord's judgments, especially on Israel, don't last forever. As long as they are still on this earth, He will pour out His blessing. He will pour out His judgment for for sure, but they are not forever. And the same goes with us as His people, as the church. Oh, he, he, He disciplines, and He allows judgment at times, but it's not forever, guys. And I think that when we make that turn because of Israel, here we see them making the turn. He says, man, I I don't want you to call me my my master anymore. I want you to call me my husband. So that relationship is now being brought back together. And he says, and I will betroth you again. Several times he says that. Let's just go back to the beginning. Let's Let's just start right where we left off. He says, and I will answer you. And and here at the end, as we close up here, we we, we see the names of his children reiterated once again. I I told you last week that the word Jezreel means scattered, but it also means to sow. Just like when you sow and you scatter. Sometimes the the negative turn is when people are scattered, but in this sense, he would sow once again. And so he uses the word Jezreel. They shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself on the earth. And lo, and lo Rahama, no mercy. He says, I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. And lo Ami, when he says, you are not my people. He says, and I will say to those who were not my people, you are now my people. And so again, now when 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 they called these children's names, they dropped, the, especially the last two, they dropped the word low, which not which means not my, to, or not to just my people and mercy. And so what we see here, and we will continue to see throughout the time, is that there will be times of of judgment, but it always comes back to remind remind us of his redeeming love. Because oftentimes there has to be judgment and there has to be the sin in order for him to redeem. There has to be the scattering before he can bring back and buy back. And I was reminded of this, the scripture has been on my my mind where where, where it talks about in, in first or in Philippians chapter three where it says that I may know the power of his resurrection. Well, I'd better just go to it because I'll jack it all up. But 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 the just of it is like now we, we want the power of the resurrection, but we have to have the fellowship of his suffering first. There is no resurrection without death. There is no power without the suffering that we have to go through. And it's almost like like Hosea. It it says here that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And so, man, yes, we want the resurrection, but are we willing to die? (laughs) Die to ourselves that we can walk in that power. Because that's what he does. And we're going to see that in Hosea. That that again, because of their hardness, because of their disobedience, he allows them to go, but he always rules them back. And, and we see that because that, that the whole theme of Hosea is redeeming love. And that's what he wants with us. Amen. Jesus, thank you.